This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Check this out. It is free. No, I'm serious. It's free, 100%. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor then distributes that podcast for you, and you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can also make money from that podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. The sweet smell of Little Danny urinal cakes give even the lowliest of us a glimpse into the aristocracy of life on South Beach. The Little Danny urinal cakes ignite the senses with each scent hand-curated by Michael Ryan Ruiz. The shapes and colors inspired by the rocks on Dan's water wall, which won't pay for itself, also provide your bathroom with a splendid aesthetic. With Little Danny, you can have urinal cakes and eat them too. Little Danny Urinal Cakes. Unlike mainstream jean stores, the Zipper Recruiter doesn't just wait for shoppers to unzip their fly. When you post a Zipper request, they distribute your fly to more than 100 jean stores across the web. Then their SmartFly technology actively scans millions of jean brands and jean store profiles and invites quality button fly makers to apply, making your Zipper Recruiting and Zipper Sewing faster than ever. Check out thezipperrecruiter.com today. What if I told you about a group of Levitard fans? That most of us put our kids in front of the TV for hours so we can get on the Zoom call and cut it up like a couple of benches. That we are willing to spend more on tickets to a live show than our mortgages. And have. What if I told you those fans have got the show so much they created their own? That they convince members of the show to come on their show to talk about their show. A show about a spin-off hour from a show. What if I told you that radio show is really just a podcast now and that the new show is a podcast creating a podception of a show. The show about a show within a show riding a lazy river to nowhere that we still hold it against Dan Stanzik for dissing Lyle Ranger and Juju Gotti. 4040 presents this Miami-centric show called The Local Hour has brought together a group of daddicks, Dan addicts, that almost none of the members are from Miami, but oddly kind of cheer for Miami teams now, and Australian ones too. Old Money Charlie Hume, how are you buddy? I'm doing well. I appreciate you having me on. 
So, uh, Charlie, the premise here is kind of uh, we all submit questions the day of, the day before, uh, and it's kind of like a basically a round table where I throw it to whoever's question is up next. And uh, you get however much time you have to spare uh, today. I don't know if you're off work. I know I see you've got a golf T-shirt on. Is that where you're headed right now? That, that was my plan. I, I actually, while I'm here, I'm out in like Western North Carolina. I've built my own golf course on a yard at my grandparents' house. I got literally hand cut cups and put pins in. So I actually think I'm going to go up wow. there. And, and, and yeah, I know it's, it's a level of dedication. It's a bit <laughs> embarrassing, but it, it, it passes the time. So that is what I'm going to do next. But yeah, I, as much time as y'all want to spend, I'm, I'm good. Okay. Immediately sinking into the nickname of old money, Charlie. Um, yeah, it kind of gives you a mysterious kind of vibe, that nickname. Um, I don't know how much you, you like that nickname or anything, but can you uh, give just a brief rundown of how that came about and your role around the show before we get started? Yeah, so it's funny because I actually, I hate the nickname so much now. I, I think oh, it, no. it was, no, no, it, it's totally fine because I'll, I'll explain it. it, it, it I, don't, I don't begrudge anyone who, who calls me old money, Charlie, at all, because I understand where it comes from. Because that was that specific era of the show, uh, you, you saw kind of like what Dan was trying to do in terms of creating self-deprecating personalities for everyone on the show. You know, you had Insecure Guillermo and Fat Chris and all these sorts of things where I'm sure if you brought any of those guys on, they'd be like, yeah, we don't we didn't necessarily love those. But it was, it was creating a dynamic on the show that right. really worked in terms of that self-deprecating humor. I think that's kind of the, the foundation the whole sort of show is built on. So I think Old Money Charlie, it, it was it was a bit of a. Uh, a dig slash I guess it turned out in a way that was almost like good in some senses but basically um I, I went on a series of like trips with my granddad my granddad is an amazing human being uh he has done so many cool things in his life and he's done a lot through business and he's done a lot in golf as well and uh and so he's met a variety of people through golf like you know Tom Brady and Steph Curry and guys like that and so there have been these sort of scenarios I've been put in with my granddad where I guess these are, you know, old money type of situations uh, where that's kind of where, where the nickname came from. So I very much love my granddad and love everything that I've, I've you know, but it, a lot of times people see old money, Charlie at face value. Like, yeah, this guy's a complete douche. Probably I'm like, no, I promise I'm not. Just let me talk to you for like five minutes. I promise. I'm right. not. So that, that's a, we, we just did an interview with David Sampson and uh, I, obviously he gets uh, a lot of heat and stuff, but that that's kind of his, mantra as well as give me five minutes to talk to you and you'll see that I'm I'm not the uh the the person you think I am or, or based on the nickname or, or you know reputation or anything yeah and I think that that's it look I get it if you write me off because of that you know what I mean like it's totally fine it's your call like you can live your life how you choose to but if you t if you just give me five minutes I promise you'll right. change your opinion on me yeah yeah I hear you I hear you all right well we're gonna get the uh questions started and uh, off the top, uh, is John from Miami here? He is not. He is not. Okay, we're going to skip that one then. Then we'll go straight to Bruce. Bruce has a question about uh, your role on the show and, uh, and firing people, I believe. <laughs> Charlie, how you doing? It's, uh, How's Bruce it going, man? Sales. Good, uh, a.k.a. Floyd in sales. So uh, we're all big fans of you. We love you guys. Um, as you climb up the ladder at ESPN, if you had to fire someone from the show other than Dan and Stu – who would you fire and why? Oh man, who would I fire from the show? That's that's a tough, that's a tough question. Uh, it, it's also a question where it's, it's it's tough to get a good angle on this question to position, my, position myself in a favorable way. So I'm trying to think yeah. how to do the gymnastics here. 
Uh, okay. How about I'm, I'm going to try to sidestep your question. I'm going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to fire Billy and then I'm going to hire Billy at my at the, a production company that I'm creating. So that Billy wow. has a landing pad because that's how much I believe in Billy's talent uh, and Billy's uh, I think Billy's absolutely hilarious. I think he's one of the most creative people I've ever been around. Uh, I love working with them. We've been doing this podcast together recently. Uh, so that's what I would do. I would, I'd be firing Billy so that I could steal him away and use him for my own purposes. What what? If he didn't, yeah. What if he didn't want to come work for you then? Then that, then, then that's a tough decision. Then I've just fired a key <laughs> piece of the Levitard show and now I'm, I'm in, I'm in double jeopardy, but it's a gamble. I got to take it's a gamble. It's got a, it's a dice. I got to roll here. Charlie, what a masterful, masterful answer to that question. And it's no wonder you're climbing the ranks at ESPN uh, as fast as you are. Um, that was that was incredible, man. Impressive. That, Impressive that's like answer. the occupational version of the subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Life is it, it, bull- bullshitting gets you a long way in life. I don't know if we can curse <laughs> on the podcast or not, but uh, but I just oh, said, hell yeah. yeah. You, yeah. <laughs> we got the explicit rating on here, so you're good to go, man. Yeah, bullshitting will get you quite a, quite a ways in life. And it's actually funny, <laughs> too, because I think that's the, the other large myth that people think that, like, I, I still work for ESPN in some form or fashion. I'm actually – because I'm, like, at a production company that does these shows for ESPN. So it's amazing that people are still, like, cl- you know, climbing the ranks, doing anything. I'm like, no, I'm actually just, like, over here working for this company in D.C. and, you know, doing a variety of different things, so – it, it's good though. It's good though. I, I, I you know, I, I've, I've loved the people I've worked with and especially the company. I've got great sort of mentors and bosses. So uh, it's cool. Absolutely. Barrett, you are up next. You've got a question about, uh, let's see, directing uh, and a Keith Olbermann story. Mm. Well, I, I was going to ask him for a Keith Olbermann story. I don't have, I've never met Keith Olbermann. I didn't work as his director for a few years, but I was hoping that Charlie had a cool Olbermann story. It, so this is the story I tell everyone about Keith Olbermann that just like blew my mind. So Keith is known for being like a lot of things, right? Like you hear, you know, a lot of good about Keith, you hear a lot of bad about Keith, right? And I think that I would just say, I'd preface everything with notoriously his issues are with upper management, right? Whereas working on his production staff, he was so great to us. Like he now, did he spend a lot of time in the office? Like he was very private, um, understandable. Uh, but I, I never had an interaction with Keith where I felt like, oh, I'm getting chewed out or it's terrible or negative or whatever. So the story I tell about Keith was he, he wrote, it was like, a, I think we, towards the end of our time there, it started out as an hour, it ended up as a half hour show. And we had his main sort of, you know, opening commentary monologue, whatever you call it, want to call it segment. And then we had like an interview and then a, a video segment. And in that opening segment, every single day, Keith would write out this anywhere from, you know, six to 12 minute, you know, sort of deal. And he would block out in there. Like he would do the, 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 the production. He'd say like, okay, I want this visual element here. I want this picture as a, over, you know, over the shoulder graphic, you know, for this amount of seconds, take it off. And I want this piece of video here. So this guy was like writing through some at the same time. Right. So had a whole monologue written out hour before the show goes to air news breaks. That this is like, cause this is way back in the day. The Steve Kerr had just gotten hired by the warriors after Mark Jackson was fired. Right. Guy in one hour scraps the entire monologue rewrites a whole new six minute commentary with elements blocked out that we somehow turned around and got on air still to this day, the most impressive thing I've seen any talent ever do. Like I, I wow. was just like, how did he, how did he do that? Uh, so he, he is, Keith is a lot of things, but he is, he's probably the most intelligent uh, uh, like talent I've ever worked with. It just blew my mind. Yeah. I work as a stagehand 
in the entertainment industry. And I got to say, some of the best material comes in that crunch pressures on diamonds are formed time. And it really, it happens that way. That's the funny thing about Keith too, is that Keith, um, you know, often we would tape, you know, we'd go live on the show, right. Even though we produce a lot of stuff on the front end where there were certain circumstances where other events were honored and we'd have to tape. Keith was always better live than taped. Like he would make more mistakes. Tapes, there was just something about the juice of live that just got him going. So yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you. I, I think it's an interesting thing. So my other question, um, as a director, do you have any personal works that you're really proud of? Like a indie movie that you made or something like that? You know what? I haven't delved as much into um, the artistic side of things like you're talking about. You know, I think basically since I've been working in this and, you know, and doing this, it's been all sports related production type of things where, um, you know, we, you know, I came out of school and was working for for ESPN. I was, I interned with ESPN between my junior and senior year in 2010 and then came back in 2011. So, um, but, it, but it's interesting you ask that because, so I think during quarantine, there's been a lot of opportunity to kind of develop, um, you know, new types of shows using two new, new kind of platforms, new technologies, the way you decide to produce the show, the way you optimize for, for numerous platforms. So I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of a lot of the work that we've done during quarantine. Like, you know, the, the, the ESPN's number one challenge podcast stuff I've been doing with Billy and others, uh, the interviews we did with Tom Brady and Rory McIlroy, the way we dress those up and, and put those out. Um, the one thing that I really love for my time being in Miami was the Greg Cody uh, making a show killer. Like, cause the reason why I love that so much, cause I did every single piece of that. Like I, I scripted it. I did the storyboard. I did the like directing. I was acting in it. I did the editing on the back end, did all the social strategy. So it was like front end to back. And I was like, I, I was like, this is really cool because I had my hands on every part of it. So um, th- those are the things that come to mind. Yeah. Awesome answer. Oh. Awesome answer. All right, uh, let's see. Who is up next? We have Mike Ryan fan account. Uh, you have a question about Charlie attending sporting events. Yeah, so you're a, you're a big soccer guy, which, A, thank you. I get excited when I find another one of those. Um, but uh, what? tell me, you know, best experience, you know, attending a live soccer match overseas. Like, what what does that compare to, you know, to something here in the States? It's, it's really hard to find uh... – an equivalent because I just, I just honestly don't think there is one. I'm a Tottenham fan. Uh, not, not great. Not a great time to be a Tottenham fan right now. Uh, I actually thankfully did not watch the Sheffield match. I don't know when this is airing, but Sheffield, they've lost to Sheffield yesterday, three, three, one, uh, and had a couple friends in group text that were like, thank God you're not watching this because it's a disaster. But that having been said, three of some of my favorite live sporting event experiences have been, going to see Tottenham play in the old White Hart Lane before they built, you know, the, the new one they play in now. Uh, and the last time I went was uh, North London Derby against Arsenal. And it was the one where uh, it was a 2-2 draw. It was kind of a downer because Tottenham was down 1-0, came back and were up 2-1. And then Alexis Sanchez scored like a little past the 70th minute and it was a draw. But one of those goals in there was that iconic Harry Kane goal where he'd broken his nose and he had the goggles on and he's like on the far left side, like just outside the 18 and he like curls it. And, and I, I forget, I mean, just, just a perfect placement, but then he wheels off to celebrate and he pulls the goggles off. And he's like twisting around the goggles. So I I'm there with my two, two of my best friends from college who were both Tottenham fans, just absolutely going nuts. And uh, that was, that was pretty memorable. Uh, but I just say in general, the atmosphere is, um, it's unique for a number of reasons. It's not like, you know, there are places in, in, in the States, of course, that get just as loud and are just as, you know, into it. But I think 
the biggest thing really is like the, the songs, you know, like the, the sort of this unique sort of crowd energy you have throughout the entire match, because you have this one end usually of supporters that are just, you know, singing the entire time or singing chants and stuff like that. And they're, you know, directed at certain players who are doing well. So as a player, you kind of feel that energy and, uh, and, and it's just, it's, I guess it's the way I describe it is like, I think the crowd kind of relates and connects with the players and the coaches differently there than in, than in the way you'd see it in, in, you know, a lot of American uh, live sports. Fantastic. Charlie Hume with us, Old Money Charlie, uh, dubbed by the Dan Levitard, uh, joining us on Lauer After Hours. Uh, thanks again for your time, man. Um, next question we have is from Asom. He's got a question about silliness around the Dan Levitard show, I believe. Hey, Charlie, it's Asom here. How you doing? Doing well. How's it going, man? Good. Checking in from Chicago from my basement here. Very nice. Looks like you're in a basement. That, that checks out. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a big fan going way back. Uh, especially when you guys were on TV, you were in the studio. My question revolves around when you guys had a later time slot and when the club came up on Fridays, it just looked like, obviously the radio audience never knew about this, but you guys just had a blast. And some of the things, even with the ladies dancing, it almost at times got out of control. How much fun did you guys have doing the club, especially for the TV audience? Yeah, the club was kind of wild, right? Like it was, uh, you know, probably some stuff to like in hindsight, like what, you know what I mean? Like even got phased out while we were there because the optics on that are, are not great of, you know, what, what it was essentially was that we were, we do this show out of the Clevelander on South Beach, right? So you either know what that is and I don't have to describe <laughs> it to you any further or for people who might not know, it's just like right near the epi epicenter of insanity on South Beach where people are, walking outside on, on, uh, ocean Ave and just like, uh, in, in our, uh, you know, just stopping in at various places to drink. And it's like, it's just crazy. Right. And in Cleveland, they have a pool out there and everything. And so they have, you know, women who are, who are, you know, working there who are often scantily clad, who, you know, serving drinks or doing whatever else. And so we started doing this, this club segment, like, Hey, we should send some, some girls up to dancing and be part of it. And, uh, so those were kind of wild because, as the the field producer that was like setting that up, you're just like, what? Like, I I, I went to school for what degree? And I, you know, work for ESPN. And like, I'm like, you know, wrangling like dancers. To do, you know, it, it was very, it was very hilarious. But, um, but so that, so they, you know, nonetheless fun though. And, and the girls were, were great too. We really enjoyed, they, they were gracious to kind of spend the time and uh, they were, uh, they were, uh, sorry, I'm, this guy's about to hit my car. All right. Well, he made it out. Good for him. Uh, so, uh, so, so yeah, so, so that, that was great. But then there was sort of a transitional phase where we said, Hey, maybe not the greatest look, let's try to do something different. And what, and, and we had, uh, I think it was an Arizona state basketball fan at one point where they would have this thing for free throws where they, they'd hold up like a PVC pipe with a curtain, curtain. on it. Right. The curtain. Yes. 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 So, so I went to Lowe's or Home Depot or something like that. Like I kind of eyeballed how they did it at Arizona state. I bought the PVC pipe. I cut it down. I built this curtain with, with the whole, you know, shower curtain on it. And then we did a couple of shows where, you know, Roy was back there in a speedo and every time you'd open up the curtain, it was something different. Uh, you know, Chris dressed like Mad Max dancing back there. Uh, and then we had some mascots come out. There were a lot of fun. I think like, uh, that we had the you know, Sebastian Ibis and we had Stan, Stanley, the Panther or something like that for the, for the former <laughs> Panthers. So, uh, it, you know, answer that was, you know, it's the end of the week. Everyone's ready to drink. 
everyone's ready to kind of head off of the weekend. You have this sort of exclamation point where you had this sort of fun insanity back there in the container. And we had a ton of fun back there always anyway. So it was cool. It was, we enjoyed it for sure. Now that, that's awesome. I love that answer. And just a, a quick comment, the fall on Ninja Warrior, did it hurt or did it not? It's funny because it looks so bad, right? It looks so it bad. They pad those things heavily. So I was almost, if you, if you watch it, you can see there's like a moment where like I, I'm almost wrapping my entire arms around this like, you know, large rectangle, rectangular type of thing. Right. And, I, and it looks like I've just like gotten completely crushed. I was almost like bracing for impact like that because I thought it was going to be terrible. And then I was like, oh, like that wasn't that bad. And then I just kind of slid off and fell in the water. But uh, the optics on it, not great. <laughs> All right, we're going back to beep count. He's got a, a kind of a follow-up question to the, uh, I think, Tottenham and, and a Premier League uh, songs. Sure. Go go for it, beep. What's up, Charlie? This is at beep count on Twitter. Um, excluding Tottenham, what are your top three favorite uh, chants or songs in the uh, EPL? Oh, man, that's a good question. And honestly... I'm, I would have to plead ignorance on most, on almost every count because those are the songs that you spend time listening to and loving when you're watching Tottenham. You know, it's, it's more of the, it's more of the Tottenham songs rather than the other songs. Uh, God, I struggle to even think of, um, I'm going to strike out here on the answer. I I, I think that, uh, I, I, well, I'll, I'll, I'll do my best to answer in a Tottenham context. And, and I think that, uh, there was one that used to do with the old White Hart Lane where it was like a sort of call and response between like different ends. And it was like this, it, you know, it was like, like there was Park Lane side and then Kylie, I'm, I'm blanking on the other side, but they're just, it, it was just the sort of thing. It was like an ebb and flow. You hit these sort of low moments in the matches and then, and then that, that sort of the, the, the call and response to start up. And then like you feel the energy kind of building up a little bit and you could really, I mean, whether or not you can actually connect it statistically, you can feel the energy sort of picking up. Or you can see it in the players on the pitch when, when you have good support, you know, that's why places that are quiet, like, you know, I hate to take a, a dig at Arsenal, but you know, do it. Like they call it the library for a reason. They don't have great support there a lot of time. And that, I, I think that has yeah. a detrimental effect on a team for sure. Wonderful. All right. Morgan from Australia, you have a question about the challenge for Charlie. Hey Charlie. I just want to see if you thought Jay, could win the challenge one time as a big survivor fan yeah jay i mean i was impressed with jay this season so i think the the big takeaways from the season with jay is like jay was seemed to be the one rookie that came in on the challenge and i apologize to everyone who's now turning out because they're like who what what is the challenge go listen to espn's number one challenge podcast i promise you'll enjoy it and then watch the show but i think that seamless uh, plug yeah, they do my best there. Uh, but yeah, Jay, so, so Jay came in and there were different sets of rookies on this season. Um, but there were like a lot of big brother rookies. So they had an alliance. They kind of watch out for each other early on. Jay seemingly came in with no one to really connect with. And the only other guy that was like that was Asaf who like briefly had a fling with Nani. And so Jay, not, Jay and Asaf went in the first elimination, Jay won. Then they brought Jay back again against CT, which was a shocker. That he ended up winning a, a pretty tough, like knots elimination early on in the season. And so I, I think that kind of put a lot of people on notice. Like if Jay comes back, like he's going to be good because I just felt like inevitably he was going to get eliminated. And then he went in uh, against uh, Rogan in the sort of infamous elimination where he got a concussion. 
one of my co-hosts on ESPN's number one challenge podcast has a conspiracy theory about maybe he faked that concussion because he knew he was going to get crushed. But nevertheless, uh, I agree I, with I, that. There's no way he was concussed by that ball. Right. Like it, like it just wasn't, it, it, it was weird because the way he went about it where he was asking, he kept asking me, what are the rules again? And it almost felt too obvious to me. Now I shouldn't concussion shame. I've had like 10 concussions in my life. So if it was serious, it was serious, but I did think the timing was interesting, but to, to get back to the initial point, I think Jay, I think Jay showed a lot of people that he could be good. If Jay hit the weight room, you know, put on about 20 pounds, I think he'd be equipped to win. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us. Please stay tuned for part two dropping soon. I love you all. Toodles.